Hey guys, and welcome to the channel. I'm extremely excited to be joined by Aaron the Cricket Connoisseur. As always, we're going to talk about West Indies versus England, and of course, West Indies beating England 1-0 in the three-match test series. Before we get into Aaron, because I know you're really excited talking about how England lose, and somehow we only manage to talk about England losing for the most part when you come on, but uh, how are you doing? And uh, yeah, how sad are you about the result? Well, first and foremost, Faison, I'm doing well which is the most important thing. Health is wealth, isn't it, at the end of the day? It's much more important than a game of cricket. But uh, talking of the cricket, before I speak about England, and obviously a large chunk of today's show, we'll be reviewing England and the, the lacklustre performances out in the Caribbean. A massive congratulations to the West Indies. They thoroughly deserve to win that Test Series on the basis of that third and final Test. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. The likes of Joshua De Silva, Carl Mayers, Craig Brathwaite, showed so much composure, skill, application, temperance. And to be honest, they were worthy winners of the series. So congratulations to the men in Maroon and also to the fans as well in Grenada. I thought they were absolutely fantastic, bringing that carnival atmosphere. I know people who went there actually to the National Stadium. They said it was fantastic. So big up to the West Indies fans who were present in that series as well. But yeah, in terms of England, again, very, very disappointing. One test win in the last 17 matches. It's just not good enough, but there's lots of reasons why we can talk about the captaincy, the tactics, the personnel, the, the domestic structure. There's all these different factors, but at the moment, English test cricket is in a little bit of a crisis. In fact, people are saying it's at rock bottom. People who watched the, the trials and tribulations of the 1990s are saying that this is not just comparable, it might actually be worse. So, yeah, it's, it's a rough time to be an England test fan. But with that being said, at some point, we do have to start getting back into the test arena. We do start have to improve in these performances. It's just a case of which steps we're going to take in order to achieve that as, as sensibly and sustainably as possible. Yeah, well said. I think let's start off with West Indies in first, because I feel like there's a lot to unpack with England. I feel like we will definitely talk about them at length because obviously they lost and, and the whole a saga at the moment with Joe Root as captain and, and a lot of people calling for him to step down and obviously no Anderson on board, people coming in, etc. Um, but first of all, as you said, yeah, well played to West Indies. I thought they played some pretty darn good cricket um, throughout the series. Um, yes, at times, I think, I don't think it was dull, but there was attritional side to uh, some of the cricket being played. And I think uh, we saw parallels between the Pakistan Australia series, which was running at the same time, for the most part, with the West Indies England series in some sessions where the pitch wasn't really giving much, so it was that kind of attritional type of cricket. Um, but generally, I thought it was a pretty exciting series, and I think it also does highlight the fact that it is hard to win away from home. Um, it's not easy to win away from home, and that's why, for example, Australia just beating Pakistan away is a very good victory. Uh, if England had won here in West Indies, it would have been a very good victory, and I think the the stat, you know, that I said, which was you know, the fact that West Indies have played, what, 14 matches against England since 2006, won five, lost two. They haven't lost a series since then as well. Highlights the fact that, one, they're comfortable playing at home, which all teams are, but two, they are comfortable playing England specifically. They've got the best win-to-loss ratio against them. So clearly something about West uh, playing England is gives them some type of extra kick, I would imagine. But also for England, um, 
it's a case of some there's some type of reason as to why they don't perform as well as um, the other teams when they go there, which um, is interesting as to why. Um, I can't explain that because it's not just a couple of players. It's happened for uh, multiple teams, right, over uh, a set period. But from the West Indies' point of view, as you said, Brathwaite, Mayers, and also Joshua De Silva, especially, uh, to name a few. Kimar Roach is always good, um, to be honest with you. I mean, he's a very underrated seamer. But I wanted to touch upon first Joshua De Silva because I think this is a bit of a uh, a standout series for him. Um, obviously that 100 he scored in the last test match and uh, some of the other crucial runs he scored as well throughout the series. He did say um, after the last test match that it wasn't his best performance as a series with the gloves and he's very harsh on himself and he wants to improve that area. Obviously that's his primary role, although nowadays batting is so important as a wicketkeeper batsman. But batting wise, it seems like he's turned a corner. I think everyone's realised he's had that potential and that's why they stuck with him. But it's good to see him you know, get those runs now and to see that hard work come to fruition. Anyone that watches a lot of YouTube will follow him as well on his YouTube journey. Um, he seems like a very chilled out, nice guy, uh, does Q&As, etc. as well. And clearly he does work hard because you, you can see uh, the yards he's been putting in. But what, what was your assessment of him first, I guess, before we, we move on to the rest of the West Indies? Well, with the gloves, I'd agree with his assessment. I do think at times could have been better because that his that's his art form first and foremost, and he is very, very harsh on himself. But everybody has series like that, you know. You can't beat yourself up about one bad series with the gloves and conceding buys. So, the most important thing is winning the series. And to be honest, his efforts with the bats were a major reason behind this series victory. That century in the third and final Test match was masterful. Because that surface was tough. Unlike the first two in Antigua and Barbados, there was a little bit of spice in that pitch at the National Stadium. And yet his application, his temperaments, his fortitude, the application of skill alongside the tail enders as well, the likes of Kemal Roach and Jaden Seals, so impressive. And honestly, I know this is a very cliche adage, but this really felt like a, a coming-of-age innings. For Joshua De Silva, we've seen this in the four-day stuff in the regional side, in the Caribbean for Trinidad. We've seen it in glimpses in the test arena. He's got these starts, I think back to the New Zealand series, where he got these quick-fire 30s. But we hadn't seen him really kick on. And yet in this third and final test match, it's a huge series for him, obviously because he's got a lot of competition from Shane Dalrich, who, again, lots of people in the region think could come back into the side if Josh doesn't perform with the bat in hand. And yet he silenced all of those naysayers and, and critics up, really. So for that reason, Joshua De Silva, aside from Craig Brathwaite, I think he would be up there for Man of the Series, purely for that knock alone. He's won them the series with that knock. So yeah, big up to Josh. Lovely bloke, good cricketer, excellent work ethic, everything he wants in a professional. And quite clearly, you could see how much it meant to him with the emotions. He was almost in tears to be honest, when he's running away and, and having his celebration. So, yeah, shout out to Josh. Hopefully this is the first century of, of many in the format. Yeah, well said. Definitely a match and series winning knock for sure. And it would definitely be something I'm sure to him that he'll hold dear for the rest of his career. But he'll also go back to at times when he's going through a rough period and it'll give him the confidence to say, look, I've done it once. I can do it again. And uh, I feel like it's really important to get past that first big milestone uh, so that you can say, look, I'm good enough. 
at this level. And there's always doubts that creep in, no matter how good you are, uh, for sure. Uh, Craig Brathway, I'm the captain. I mean, first of all, we can talk about how well he captained, and I'll get your thoughts on that. Uh, but the fact that he was the leading run scorer, average of what was 85, 341 runs in the series. I mean, there was a stat that I think someone shared, and um, I want to quote it. Uh, it was, I think, out of uh, all of the centuries scored by West Indies openers, I think for the last 15 innings, the last 15 centuries scored by West Indies openers, they've all been scored by him, I think yeah. it is, or 10, which is ridiculous. 10 or 15, I think it was, which is just unbelievable. Um, I, I just genuinely couldn't believe it uh, when I read that stat. I think it probably shows that he has been the anchor for West Indies um, and at times has really carried West Indies on his back. And I guess in parallel to how Root has done it with England at times as well. Um, and he is a very, very good bat. He's very different. Um, he is the classic type of batsman who's going to dig in. He will be happy to go at a 15, 20, 25 strike rate if he needs to, to stabilize the innings. And uh, he'll bat and bat and bat. Um, and, and I just think his reading of a situation is really good at times as well. So uh, for me, definitely a standout. And I think, I don't think he's played any T20 cricket at all, I think. Um, if ever, or if, if he has, it hasn't been for a very, very long time. So he is a purist of the game. Um, and there's not many like that about. Uh, really, really interesting to see. Um, what are, you, what are your thoughts on him and also his captaincy as well? Do you think he captained well? Of course, scoring those runs is leading by example. It's fantastic and we know that. But from a captaincy point of view, do you think he made the right decisions at times? I mean, yes, they won 1-0, but that doesn't always mean that someone's captained well as well. Sometimes it can be because of the knocks, the standout performances. Well, I'll start with the batting first, Faisan, first and foremost. You know who he reminds me of? Dimuth Karuna Ratna. You mentioned about players who almost not carry their sides, but are a, a vital cog behind their side success. Craig Brathwaite is exactly that. And I love his style of batting. People know this, obviously, because I'm a, a big fan of, of players like Dom Sibley and Chiteshwa Bajara. It's that over-my-dead-body style of batting, the ball sponge, that real gritty, steely character at the top of the order, because that is part and parcel of the role. It's something which England had with Sibley, but people, for some reason or another, were against it, probably because of his technique. But when you look at openers, yes, you're there to score runs, but your secondary objective is to soften up that new ball, is to make it easier for the middle order. And Craig Brathwaite does exactly that. So for that reason, with the bat in hand, leading run scorer in this series, I thought it was absolutely exceptional. In terms of the captaincy, I've got to be honest, in terms of the seam rotations, I thought he got absolutely spot on at times. The only thing which I could be a little bit critical about was the bowling choices of Pamor at times. I think he did bring him in a little bit too early at times and a little bit too late at others. I feel like Pamor, unlike Jack Leach in this series, just couldn't get that rhythm. So maybe that's something which I, I could have been a little bit critical about with regards to his captaincy. But these surfaces were really tough, to be honest. You had to really, really work hard to get your wickets, in particular in the first two test matches. So as a skipper, I think he did a decent job with regards to the seam rotation. That's first and foremost. But the second thing which I would mention, which is just as important, is leading by example. And he's done exactly that. So for that reason, Craig, I think he's done a good job with the captaincy. 
excellent job with the bat in hand. And again, we go on to that overarching theme of players who were integral parts of the West Indies' success in this series. Yeah, Craig Brathwaite's definitely someone who deserves a lot of accolades and mentions for this particular series. Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, very well said, I think. Generally, um, yeah, apart from, I guess, uh, the spin decisions, which I think at times it can be tough to really uh, make the correct decision at times because as a captain, and I know he does bowl a bit of spin himself, so I guess that should really help in, in a little bit of a way because you might think to yourself, okay, if I bowl now, um, is it going to help? Um, you know, as in, if I come on now, is it all going to turn? What type of job would I do with the ball? Um, I think Root has that similar mentality and obviously he bowls a little bit more than Craig Brathwaite. But um, we'll go on to Leach because I thought he had a, a pretty darn good series as well, to be fair to him. Um, and obviously he seems to be slowly improving as well, which is nice to see. Um, Kiwan Roach and Jaden Seals, uh, both uh, tied you know, on 11 wickets with Jack Leach as well as the top wicket takers in the series. Um, quickly on Kimar Roach, I, I think I said it in the group that we're that we're both a part of that I think he is a top ten like fastball of this generation. I think he's that good. Uh, I think he's very very underrated. Not not many people talk about him because he's not part of India, Australia, and England, um, and he's not part of one of the kind of more glamorous teams if you want to say or countries. Uh, and West Indies just haven't been that good this generation to be perfectly honest with you as a team compared to some of the other big. Uh, bigger country. So uh, that is a little bit, I think, disappointing in terms of the exposure. He doesn't get as much. And I th think it's worth us talking about him as one, well giving him uh, that kudos because he is a phenomenally good bowler, um, especially in test cricket. He has really found himself uh, in the last uh, few years. And uh, he's so, so dangerous. Um, I mean, how, how good do you think he was in the series and also as a player as well? Just a few words on him, if you don't mind. Outstanding. Oh, I love Kemar Roach. Cannot wait to see him back in county cricket this summer for Surrey. And you think of the West Indies and you think of all of these magnificent players who have come from this iconic cricketing region over the years. Right, you think of the likes of Malcolm Marshall, Andy Roberts, Walsh, Ambrose, Gibbs, Holding, Holder in recent years as well, the likes of Wes Hall, Garfield Sobers. We can keep on going and going. Kemar Roach is the seventh all-time leading wicket-taker in the West Indies history. Seventh. And yet, for some reason or another, he never gets spoken about. And I do think that is because of the West Indies' downward spiral in Test cricket over the years, but he deserves a lot more credit. Kemar Roach is an absolutely phenomenal scene bowler. And the key thing with Kemar as well, he could do it across conditions. Yes, he's good at home, but he's also toured quite well over the years as well in particular series. So for that reason, I completely agree, Faisan. Deserves a lot more kudos, a lot more praise, and a lot more accolades for his achievements. He's absolutely brilliant. So yet again, a thorn in England's side, unfortunately for us as England fans, but deserves all the praise in the world, as does Jaden Seals, who continues to impress. I remember watching him in the 2020 Under-19 World Cup in South Africa, and I say this all the time, there's just something about him, his accuracy, his relentless nature, his consistency at such a young age. You can just see sometimes with players, they have these special attributes and qualities. And Jaden certainly fits that bill. I thought he was brilliant in this series. He got good lateral movements. He was disciplined when things were beginning to stagnate 
and England were trying to build partnerships. He at least tried to build up the pressure and, and force a breakthrough. I thought he was brilliant. So it was the it was the mix of the youth and the experience with those two. But I thought they both did an excellent job, as did Carl Mayers. And yeah, definitely, definitely worthy of uh, of some praise for this particular test series. Yeah, no, agreed. And finally, I guess then on, on Carl Mayers, I mean, a very different role to what he did have when he originally came into the test side. Of course, that incredible match winning 200 against Bangladesh, which was, you know, one of the best, one of the best test wins I think I've ever seen, to be fair. Uh, definitely ranks up there. And he was batting at four, was only bowling a little bit, if at all. I know he's had injuries in the past and was actually seen as more of a bowling all-rounder when he first burst into the scene um, when he was younger. And then he's revolutionized himself more into batsman because of those injuries. He's now, I think, had less of those injury concerns recently. So he's now come back into bowling more. And so we saw that in this test series, we picked up a five from one of the innings and are definitely back to almost his best uh, with the ball. But playing more of a different role, he's not batting in the top five anymore. He's batting at seven and and bowling, I guess, they he's playing that kind of, typical all-rounder role I know of course as an all-rounder you can still bat the top five but um do you think that role suits him do, do you think he should be batting higher are you happy with obviously with the ball he's done really well so I think he's very hard to criticize him in that aspect but uh, he didn't even get picked for the first test match I don't even know if, I know he played the third one but I'm not sure if he played the second one off the top of my head but um yeah I, thoughts on on that I mean is that a headache they're going to have will he get another run in the team or is it a case of okay you've done pretty well but we see you as an all-rounder we're going to stick you there when we have a spot spinning conditions you might not play it's a tough one with Kyle because we know exactly what he's capable of in test cricket you mentioned that incredible double century against Bangladesh the only issue is if you are going to slot him into the middle order who makes way because you've got the likes of Nkrumah Bonner. He was brilliant in this series. Jermaine Blackwood, again, offers something completely different. And I understand at times that he will frustrate West Indies fans because of his approach. He's very much a a destructive, you know, kind of explosive power hitter in Test cricket, which is, is quite entertaining, to be honest, when he does get going. But it means at other times that he can get out quite cheaply and, and with some pretty less than intelligent shot selection, shall we say. But... I don't think Mayers necessarily has forced his way in between those two or to replace either of those two in that middle order, potentially batting at three. But then again, could Shamar Brooks make way? Mm. It's a tough one. It's a tough one when it comes to the West Indies. I think for the time being, he will have to be in that lower order. I don't think his batting in the test arena, aside from that double century, has necessarily warranted a place higher. But talking of the West Indies batting, actually, and I know obviously it's a great series win for them and we should be celebrating it rightfully so, they still have issues with the opening partnership. And that's not going to be changing anytime soon, to be honest. I mean, John Campbell struggled yet again in this series. And the issue in the region at the moment, I can only really think of two players who are knocking that door down. Jeremy Solazano, who we saw in the Sri Lanka series, unfortunately missed as a result of a, of a concussion. But he's someone who can potentially open alongside Brathwaite. And then the other option is Shane Mosley from Barbados. But then again, he came in for one series and we haven't heard of him since. So that is just the one thing, if I'm being really hypercritical, right, of this West Indies outfit in this series, that's something which still hasn't been cemented fully 
So that's something that I'll be looking out for quite keenly heading into future series. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. That's definitely uh, an area of weakness for them and they'll be looking to shore up. But as you said, it's difficult because they don't have too many options really banging down the door at the moment. They've got a couple they could potentially look at, but we'll see whether they do go with them. Uh, Campbell is uh, definitely a topic uh, which uh, divides opinion, let's say, um, in West Indies cricket for sure. Uh, let, let's touch upon them then uh, because a lot to talk about here. Let's First of all, I want to ask you a question because it happened before the series. Um, you can, Well, yes or no, but also you can give me your reasoning as well. But in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, not playing Broaden Anderson or playing at least one of them, bringing him into the squad, was it the right option? No. Said it before the series, said it during the series, we'll continue to say it after the series. You, you can't drop both of those two at the same time if you're going for a reset. It makes absolutely no sense. That's 1,100 plus wickets between those two in this format, all that wealth of experience. And yes, they can be quite abrasive characters at times, but they're legends of the game and they're still performing. I mean, if you look at Jimmy Anderson's away test average, it continues to drop. I mean, he was our leading wicket taker during the Ashes. I I cannot understand the rationale and logic of dropping them both at the same time. Dropping one of them and allowing a a Craig Overton or a Saki Mahmood or a Matt Fisher in, Perfect. Why? Because they have somebody almost as a as a gauge. They can learn off of them. They can rub shoulders with the legend of the game. And yet we didn't have that. We didn't have that. Ollie Robinson injured for the entire series. It was basically Chris Wokes and the new look bowling attack. And I mean, if anything, and I don't like saying this, but I found it a little bit disrespectful, if anything, to the West Indies. Because yes, they aren't obviously at the, the peak of their powers. But in test match cricket, this is the pinnacle of the game. You play your best players. And there's nothing wrong with a few changes and bringing in the next generation. But to call it the Red Bull reset, and the first series you do that is against an opposition, which you've beaten once in the last 50 years, I I just, I found it very, not arrogance, I don't think arrogance is the right word, but it it left a sour taste in the mouth. (laughs) I think it's more ignorant, isn't it? I don't get where this attitude has has come from that we can go to the West Indies, a place where we have taught so poorly over the years with better England sides and we expect to win with a, well I say an almost new look team, it wasn't an almost new look team either I mean let's be honest, a lot of these personnel have been there since 2021 so all in all to be honest, when it came to the selections really disappointed not to see Anderson or Broad in there, really disappointed you don't have to play both that's fair enough. At some point, England do need to move on because these two will not be around forever, even though Jimmy could be playing until he's 45 for all that we know. But there's a way of doing it. There's a way of rebuilding. There's a way of resetting. There's a way of of blooding the new generation. And I feel like England in this series got that horribly wrong. Horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, it is a very, very interesting uh, series, I think, from England perspective. And I think like part of me was thinking, oh, you know, they're probably not going to perform that well. Uh, and by dropping both of them, it, it did mean that it was going to be a trial by fire, really. Uh, and it was kind of single swim. And you know, they'd almost hoped that, okay, well, it'll just it'd be good. Uh, people would really step up and, and they'd have a couple of people making their debuts and they'd have some dream debuts, etc. But it was a bit naive, I think, to think that. I agree, I think, in hindsight, 
having one of them in there would have been helpful for sure because as you said they could definitely learn off them uh, they would have been able to give them tips and they would have felt like they could have someone to lean on who's a bit more senior and uh, yes, they can be abrasive. I've said it on uh, multiple occasions, and I, I don't think that's going to change. But um, I'm pretty sure they're happy to talk about their own bowling to uh, the younger lads um, and, and give them advice in that sense because um, they're very confident individuals, let's say. So I, I don't think they have any issue talking about themselves, let's say. So um, that would have been helpful, I think, to these guys, especially for some of them who wouldn't have toured West Indies before, uh, different surface and they're not playing at home where they're used to playing counter cricket, for example. So it would have been beneficial, no doubt. Um, I guess then we may as well stick with the seamers um, and how, well, the bowling side of things. Uh, before we go to Jack Leach, who I thought had a kind of standout tour. And, and I think, again, maybe slight turn of a corner for him, which is good to see. Uh, Chris Wokes, Craig Overton and, and Saka Mahmood Fisher as well. Uh, how do you think they did as a collective um, I know you're very firm on on Chris Wokes, and he's. Uh, no, I'm of the opinion he's a very, very good home home bowler. He always has been, and he will he will be probably unless Archer kind of starts playing regularly again. He will be the best home bowling and have if they continue to not play Anderson and Broad, no doubt. Like uh, that's just the way it is. The way he bowls away from home, he does have his I guess struggles because of the, how he bowls, and that will always be the case. Um, he's not a poor bowler away from home, but he's just not as good as he is at home. I think that's what it is. Um, Craig Overton and Sakamamud, I think Sakamamud's got a bit of extra pace, so he does have some ability to trouble batsmen overseas. Uh, and Fisher is an interesting one as well. Of course, no, Ollie Robinson. What was your, I guess, gauge of how these guys did, um, especially the guys making their debut? Uh, so Fisher and Mahmood as well. And the more experienced seamers as well. How do you think they went about uh, about playing in the West Indies and were you impressed? Were you disappointed? It's a bit of a mixed bag to be honest, Faisan. And I'm not going to go absolutely in hard on the same bowlers because for those first two tests, both sides struggled. It was ridiculously tough to get wickets on them and for an inexperienced same attack, what what could we expect from them? Let's be honest. I, I feel like Sakiba Mood, if we are to take one massive positive away from this series, he would be it. Not only for the bowling, but of course the batting, that 49. I thought that was absolutely fantastic alongside Jack Leach. But I love his attitude. And also the fact that it, there were expectations. There was a lot of pressure on him to perform right from the get-go. And he lived up to them. Which, again, very, very impressive indeed. I think he had the best average of, of any of the English scene bowlers in this particular series. It was an absolute handful, provided that extra X factor in a in an otherwise quite similar seam attack so for that reason i think in terms of, of positive sakima mood absolutely and i think that we'll be seeing him feature in a lot more england test matches in the next few years in terms of overton and wokes again though what were they supposed to do that's the problem other than that last that, that last test where they tried i mean wokes had a, a four for in that didn't he or three in that particular innings i mean they tried you, you can't you can't deny that, but there's just nothing in these surfaces. And Matt Fisher, I know if you look at the average, I think it was 71. He got figures of one for 71, got a wicket, second ball, which was quite incredible, to be honest. And the celebrations were wild at the Kensington Oval. But again, it's his first test match. And this was always going to be the issue. I had my concerns about this before a single ball was bowled. There was always going to be that comparison 
between this same attack and Anderson and Broad. Why are they not here? Why is one of them not bowling? These people aren't as good as Anderson and Broad. And I think, if anything, that's that's not helpful for these young seam bowlers. So, as I said, I'm not going to be too critical. They weren't exactly green seamers where they should have been getting 10, 12 wickets a game between themselves. But, yeah, not say, not exactly a bowler-friendly friendly series, this. And I think for, for Mahmood and Fisher in particular, I do think they bowled the heart out. So, hopefully they can you know, produce the goods in future test series to come. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It'll be, um, it was obviously a shame no wood because he was injured and then Ollie Robinson as well. So I think, yes, of course. And I, I think I agree with your point on Anderson and Broad, but I think if, for example, wood and Ollie Robinson were both fit as well, they would have had, you know, two players who have been playing regularly that would have helped the cause as well to shore up that bowling lineup and hopefully you know they would have been able to give some advice there yes they're nowhere near as experienced as those two um but it would have been helpful nonetheless and then on the batting front uh, i mean let, let's talk about the opening partnership first because obviously a complete overhaul in the ashes they, they went with hamid and burns they just said nope not gonna play either of you we're gonna drop both of you okay you know it's up to them it's their choice um lees and crawley came in kind of mixed results. It got some runs at times, other times single figures, not really. It was kind of like, a, it was a mixed bag, as you said, I think, I, I felt on the, with the opening partnership. I guess first question is, was it harsh for both those initial openers to be dropped? And then secondly, what was your assessment with Crawley and Lees? Crawley, we've seen him open, but do you think he's progressed as an opener? I think he's the most important question. And then two is for Lees, it's his debut. How do you think he performs on debut? Well, we'll start. I won't go into too much detail with regards to Hamid and Burns, but I do think it was probably the, the right time to drop them. I said it beforehand, Hamid was was rushed back into that side after one semi-decent season in the Championship. I wouldn't have brought him in at that moment. With that being said, I wouldn't shut the door on him. And I know that some people say, oh, he's not cut out for test cricket. Trust me, he's got the temperaments. He's got the resilience for it. He's a very, very sturdy operator. But he's got to work on his hands. And that was something which was massively, massively, um, I want to say, exploited, I suppose, in Australia. He was quite an easy target for the Aussie seamers on those extra bouncier wickets. And then with Burns, again, just had a poor year, looked bereft of confidence. I, I do think through gritted teeth, it probably was the right decision to to drop both of them. But again, the door is never shut. In terms of Crawley, I just wanted to get a little bit of a statistic for this. So in this series, Craig Brathwaite, who we've, we've been singing the praises of, faced over 900 deliveries in this series. Zach Crawley as the opener faced 349. So you know when I mentioned about scoring runs, and yes, that's very important. But as I said, that secondary objective is to make it easier for the middle order. And I don't think he did that, to be honest, in this series. He had that fantastic knock in Antigua. But after that, some of the shots he was getting out to were pretty poor. They were poor shots. And he keeps on going for this expansive, booming drive, getting caught at mid-off or at the covers, and he's throwing away his wickets. So that's something which, again, we said this during the Ashes, he needs to work on if he is to become England's number one opener. In terms of yeah, Alex, it reminds Lees. me of me playing um, 
for a couple of years exactly the same way. And I'm not even a test match cricketer. So um, I, I think if he's getting out like that, um, yeah, that's, that's not, as you said, it is poor because that's him trying to play, as you said, over expansively. Getting caught mid off and cover consistently means that you're mistiming the ball and you're playing aggressively when you shouldn't be. Uh, and that is a temperament issue. Uh, but sorry, Con, carry on. Just that it, it flashes of uh, of my own of my own career a couple of years ago. Well, that's the thing, though, Fies. And I think if England just come out and say Zach Crawley is our opener for the long haul, we as England fans just need to accept that, don't we? Again, if that's his style, I mentioned it with Blackwood earlier, right? It would be the exact kind of of scenario if he is going to be the expansive opener. We just have to deal with it. He'll have these excellent knocks. He'll have some poor dismissals, but. It's all about meeting that range in the middle. Going on to Alex Lees, though, I must admit I was quite impressed with him in this series. Didn't exactly light up the stage. You can see the average. It's in the 20s. He didn't exactly, you know, announce himself spectacularly in the test arena. But again, we talk about fortitude. We talk about grit and steel and fight and determination and character. I think he showed that in this series. The only issue is I don't know how long England are going to persist with him because we've got a lot of openers like that. I mean, in county cricket, I mean, Dom Sibley, I go back to him. He's been in ridiculous form in pre-season. If he scores a lot of runs for Warwickshire, his name is, is straight back into the mix because he's changed his technique. He looks like a completely different cricketer over the off-season. We've got the likes of Jake Libby and Tom Haynes and Rob Yates in the mix as well. I'm not sure whether or not England will have the patience with him but again, this is where the word clarity is really important. If England are going to choose these two, choose them for a few series. Don't go Crawley's our main opener with Lees. He can be interchangeable. We can bring back Burns and bring back Sibley or bring in Haynes or Libby. If you're going to select Lees, he needs a full year. And I keep on saying that with England openers. When you look at the option that we've gone over the years, it's ridiculous. It's in the double digits since Andrew Strauss has retired. Compton, Lythe. Stoneman, Alley opened, Compton opened, Root opened, Sibley, Burns, Hamid, Lees. The list goes on and on and on because we didn't give them a proper go. So if you're going to go with Alex Lees, you've got to choose him for the home summer and you've got to choose him for the winter. Only time will tell if England do that. We do have quite the record of doing the exact opposites and choosing an opener for a series here and there and then changing it again and then wondering why we don't have a stable opening pairing. But I do think that he does deserve some credit for his temperaments. The runs weren't there, but in terms of acting as the ball sponge, I do think he showed some relatively promising signs in that department. Yeah, I agree. Definitely ate up some deliveries at times, which is, as you said, a really important uh, facet to have as uh, as a test match batsman, uh, test match opener anyway, for sure. Uh, Root, before the series, said, I'm going to bat three. Uh, before there was the whole hoo-ha around, I don't want to bat at three, don't think it's my best position, England needed number three, and he said, no, I'm not going to do it. Understandable, fair enough, he's their best bat. Didn't want to bat there, so batted at four. Obviously, you know, he had a fantastic year last year, and then came into this series and said, you know what, I'm just going to bat at three. I'm comfortable doing it. Um, average isn't as good as it is at four, uh, going into the series, and people saying, oh, is he making the right decision? So I'm going to ask you, did he make the right decision? Obviously, he scored some runs. Um, how do you think he looked? It's very tough. It's a very small sample size, but uh, given you know kind of how the series went, and then I guess we can move on later as well. Talk about Lawrence at four, uh, but for Root at three, right decision or not? 
it's a tough one because there's some very valid arguments both for and against because he is England's best batting option. And at number three, he, he can produce those massive knocks as we've seen in the past. For me personally, and this is just my personal opinion, I would look at it a little bit different. Before this series, I wanted Crawley at three because, as I said, when it, when it comes to opening the batting, I'm very old school. I think it's about acting as the ball sponge, taking up deliveries, making it easier for those expansive options in the middle order. As a younger option, he would have that little bit of a cushion with the opening pairing. And then if they do score some runs, big if, of course, because it is tough in test cricket. But if they were to lay a foundation, it would allow him to open up his game a bit more. And it would allow Joe Root to bat at four. I didn't understand the logic behind him moving after, after scoring the second most runs in a calendar year in test history after dominating some of the world's best bowling attacks New Zealand India on two separate occasions Australia as well I don't see why he's moved but again we need to know is this going to be long term because if it is he needs an entire year doesn't he you can't just go for number three in the West Indies and then come the New Zealand and South Africa series go oh I'm moving back to four we'll bring David Milan back or we'll put Crawley or Tom Abel in there. It's just a mess. It's a mess at the moment. It really is. I think this series was almost like a a microbiome of where English cricket is at at the moment. It was a bit disjointed when it came to that batting order and batting lineup. But we'll have to wait and see. It is a small sample size. He did score a century. Let's not forget that as well. And he did have a decent series. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see if it will be a long-term change or whether later down the line, if he does have some bad knocks whether or not he could move back down to four. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, it almost pretty much shuts the door on Darren Milan, right? Because he would, he would bat a three. So mm-hmm. they dropped him and Joe was like, well, I'm just going to bat a three. And then they said, okay, Lawrence at four. Um, not quite sure if Lawrence is ready to bat a four yet. Um, no, but he has got a lot of promise. I will say he does. He does. Lawrence. He, he does. And in terms yeah. of that top four for Essex, he has achieved some very, very good things. He's the... Mm the club's third youngest first-class centurion, I believe. So hmm. he he is a very talented cricketer. But again, we talk about temperament. Yep. He hasn't got a top-four temperament just yet. I feel no. like for, for Dan Lawrence at the moment, maybe in a couple of years this will change, but for Dan Lawrence at the moment, you're looking almost in that Ollie Pope number six position. Exactly, I feel like that yeah. probably would be the best for him at the time. Being, again, gives yeah. him that cushing, gives him that shelter, allows him to play alongside the likes of Ben Stokes and, and Folks and Wokes, whoever's in that middle order. But I do feel as though this, in a way, could actually have been quite a good experience for him. Because I think it's shown he's not ready just yet. But it's also showed that England have actually got some faith in him if that opportunity does present itself. Yeah, no, agreed. I, I almost feel like Lawrence and Pope will be in direct competition for a place, really, in the side. And that's pretty much what will happen at the moment, anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, and then lastly, from an England point of view, before we kind of talk about Route because I, I think that's and the captaincy is uh, is folks keep as a keeper batsman. What's your assessment? Do you think he should be given a year? Do you think Butler should come back in? Obviously, they said that he was rested. Uh, I don't know if he was rested or dropped. I mean, it's very hard to tell sometimes with um, what they're saying. I, I've, I'm a massive fan of, of folks, not just because he's from Surrey, but I know what he brings with the gloves uh, and with the bat. I think in Test match cricket, I don't think there's much 
difference between himself and Butler with the bat, if I'm being honest with you. If it's white ball, of course, we know what Butler brings to the table. He's phenomenal. But in red ball cricket, I, I do think, you know, there's a massive drop-off. He's still a very good batsman, but just, you know, in comparison to folks, I think there's much difference there personally. And the keeping side, I think folks is just, you know, is definitely elite for me. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, he had a poor series. I mean, at times with the gloves as well, a little bit, little bit sloppy by his incredibly high standards. And of course, with the bat, that run out in the final test, oof, that that was just a, a mess, wasn't it, to be honest, and, and triggered a collapse. But in terms of the long term, oh, give Ben Folks a year. Surely the guy's shown that he can do it in the test arena. He is an excellent wicketkeeper. That is his first and foremost art form. And then we've seen with the bat, he scored that century against Sri Lanka in 2018 it's no good bringing in folks a bit like when i mentioned about the openers for a series here and there give him a proper run in the side he was meant to have had this in 2021 he injured himself i think slipping down some stairs or slipping on a floor or something which is an incredible reason for absence but yeah he was very unlucky last year not to have played in that home summer that was originally the plan i feel like with butler for the time being just focus on white ball cricket mainly. But then again, like with anything, if Butler does want to come back into that test side, he has to play red ball cricket. You know, he has a Lancashire contract. The championship is right there. You've got 14 games. If he wants to appear in the championship and and fight for his place again, he can take that option. That option is always there for Joss. And I always say that the door is never closed because cricket's a funny game. Anything can happen. You can have selection choices. You can have selection dilemmas, which appear on the on the well basically on the verge of nothing so I, I do think folks for the time being deserves the rest of 2022 if by the end of the year things haven't improved with the bats and let's say butler or someone else in county cricketers you know emerges as a as a main competitor then you can reassess but for the time being i'll stick with folks have some faith in him yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And then lastly, of course, uh, the biggest topic of all so far is uh, mm-hmm. the captaincy issue around Joe Root. So there are already question marks, I think, during and then after the Ashes series. And obviously, um, it wasn't his head that got rolled, but it was Chris Silverwood. Um, what's, first of all, what's your thoughts on it, I guess? Um, and then also, as a second question, what do you think will happen? Uh, Atherton, Vaughan and... Hussain, so it was obviously former ex-England captains have all come out and said that they think it's time for him to step down. Um, I think w- with the bat, we know how good he is, but this is purely based on his captain captaincy. I don't think him having the captaincy or not having the captaincy is going to affect his batting. Um, I think we've seen that you know, over uh, a number of years. So uh, what's your thoughts on whether he should take it? Or sorry, whether he should be kept as captain he wants to stay as captain. He's already openly said that. And then two, what do you think will happen? And if he does get relieved, who do you think will take it? Well, it's the million pound question, isn't it, Faisan? To be honest, when it comes to this series, and just to preface it, I would like to say that I do feel bad for Joe Root because I don't think he's a terrible captain. I don't think he's the worst England captain of all time by any stretch of the imagination, but he's just leading one of the worst England sides in recent memory. And the fact is, you could put Kane Williamson in here. You could put in the world's best test captains and they might struggle to get England to the upper echelons where the fans expect them to be. 
In terms of Root's captaincy, though, the one thing which I've always had a major issue with is his approach to spin bowling. And I mentioned this series after series after series, and yet again in this series, nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. I don't know if that's down to coaching. I don't know if there's something tactically going on there. But he's, for some reason, he doesn't trust his spinners. He didn't trust Don Bess, and I still don't think he fully trusts Jack Leach. Because if you look at the field placements, which Tom Abel, for example, Somerset's captain, sets to Jack Leach, he's so aggressive. He'll put in a silly point or a silly mid-on, a silly mid-off, a leg slip. He'll encourage Leach to really go stump to stump and take wickets. And yet for England, we saw it in the ashes, men on the boundary. It, it doesn't encourage a spin bowler. That's a really, really important facet for any spinner is the relationship with your captain. And if your captain doesn't fully back you, you're never going to succeed to the extent with which you possibly could under a captain who does back you. So in that regard, that's my real Achilles heel. I think that's the real crux of Root's captaincy is his approach to spin bowling. In terms of seam rotations, again, I don't think he's he's terrible in that regard. I do think at times he has got it wrong, but every captain is culpable of that from time to time. And with the bat in hand, he's been outstanding. So he has led from the front when it comes to that skill and that art form. I think in terms of the immediate future, I'm not sure how long he can keep it up because as much as I am sympathetic and as much as I've just mentioned there, he does have some very good attributes and very good qualities and he's a lovely person. But one test win in 17 matches and yes, you can look at the opposition and realise it's Australia, New Zealand, India, teams which are far better off than England in test cricket right now. It's an unwanted record. And in fact, I think in terms of the last 30 or 40 years, he has got one of the if not the lowest win percentages of any England test captain. So it's a massive decision. It's a massive decision. I don't think England can make the decision just yet, to be honest. I feel like we'll have to to wait until the new coach comes in. But as soon as we get that new coach, as soon as we have some clarity regarding that coaching situation, I feel like that'll be the moment where that decision is made. I feel like for the time being, they might actually keep roots purely for for the lack of options in the captaincy department. Yes, you've got Ben Stokes available, but I feel like with Stokes, he he is his own worst enemy. You know, we saw this in this series. He, he overbowled himself. Can you imagine him as the captain? He, he might injure himself down the line because he, he loves playing for England that much and he wants to give absolutely every single sinew of his being towards the role. But I'm not sure if he's captaincy material just yet. And then in the rest of the squad, where are the other leaders? England don't have an experienced mid-order batting option who's really stepping up to the plate. Bairstow isn't a captain. He's a great player, and I love the fact that Bairstow is finding this test form again, but he's not a captain. The bowlers, again, not really captain material. They don't captain for their county sides. So that's why, for the time being, as as much as, as we may complain as England fans, I feel like Root probably will stay as the captain for the immediate future. But if we are thinking later down the line with the new coach, I don't think it'd be a bad option to bring in a county captain. A Tom Abel, for example, there's been a lot of talk about James Vince, whether or not we'll see that. That's another question. Will Rhodes from Warwickshire, there's options out there. England just aren't taking them. And that's why for the time being, I feel like Root will probably be captain for the India Test match in the New Zealand series. Once we get that new coach, 
anything can happen. Because if he does lose that series, I feel like that could be it in front of in front of his home crowd. Yeah, it'll be interesting um, because I think, as you said, there's not many leaders in the actual team at the moment. So the issue is they're going to have to bring in someone, I guess, similar to what West Indies did with Craig Brathwaite, which is Craig Brathwaite wasn't particularly experienced, if I'm not mistaken, in the test arena, but they trusted him with the captaincy and then they almost had to trust him to continue batting well or, or, or say, actually, you're winning the captaincy and hope that your form in international cricket is going to be good enough for a long period of time, and it has been. I feel like that's what they're going to have to potentially do with, as you said, one of the county captains. Um, and they're going to have to mull it over. It'll probably take some time, but it, it's inevitable, I think, isn't it? So uh, let's see what happens, whether he gets relieved of his duties now or later. But I think it's just it's inevitable, isn't it, in the next well, probably year, I would imagine, maximum, um, if that. But we'll see. Um, Aaron, thanks very much for being on. Do appreciate it, as always. Um, guys, do check out The Counter Cricketer on Twitter and also Instagram. And, of course, um, they've also got their own YouTube channel as well. Well, Aaron's on there as Cricket Connoisseur and also The Counter Cricketer's on there as well. So, yeah, do check them out. And um, I'm looking forward to Question of Cricket. I'm sure that will be uh, starting again soon as well. Well, indeed. And, uh, yeah. ho- hopefully, I'll be on there and do a bit better than last time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, thanks very much, Aaron. Appreciate it, as always. My pleasure, mate. As always, always happy to come on. And, of course... For everyone out there watching, like, share, subscribe. All the good stuff. Help Faisen out over the course <laughs> of this season. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Stay safe and well, guys, and see you on the next video. Thank you very much. <laughs>